Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're doing a summer check-in with the arts. A couple of arts organizations in Logan. We'll be talking with Michael Ballum, founding director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, and Herb Newsom, who is performing with Lyric Repertory Company. Utah Festival and Opera and the Musical Theater is celebrating 30 years. Lyric Repertory Company is celebrating 56 years. We're talking about the arts in Utah, arts coming out of the pandemic, what arts do for us, highlighting arts this summer. You're welcome to call in or email us and tell us about your favorite arts organization, productions you're most uh, uh, looking forward to, uh, to attending. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com or 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. In studio, uh, Michael Ballum joins us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, on the phone, uh, we have with us uh, Herb Newsom. Uh, we, not yet. Uh, so he'll join us just uh, just a little bit uh, later. So, um, Michael Ballum, 30 years. That's an amazing accomplishment. It's a long time. It's miraculous, given I was only two years old when I founded the company. <laughs> which, which, which we know, yes, yes. <laughs> of course, when you mentioned the 56 years at the Lyric, that really uh, daunted me since I was involved that very first season. It's hard to think it's been 56 years. So I was you, only one year old. Right, in, in right. That. Actually, I was the youngest member of the company. I was a high school kid. And uh, I still feel like a high school kid, and 56 <laughs> years have passed by. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about Festival Opera. So the, the first year of the, the Lyric? Yeah. You're, the, a, high, you're the, a high school kid. High school kid, and uh, I had a great love for the theater because mm-hmm. my uncle Oral and Vasco Call owned the theater for a period of time to show classic movies. It uh, was not very successful because the Lyric flooded every time there was much of a rain, and did so until about five years ago when uh, the Utah Festival Opera, in cooperation with Logan City, spent $150,000 to create a drainage system around the Lyric. It better not flood ever again. Mm-hmm. I love that building. Yeah. And have all my lifetime. Yeah. Do you remember what production or productions you were in? That's, uh, uh, that's the, a long time ago. The season was Rashomon. Oh. Yeah. Ask me the first one of the Utah Festival (laughs) Opera, and I'll have a better shot at it. Yes, what was the first one there? (laughs) We did four shows. Uh, Mozart's Die Schauspieldirektor, only we did it in English and called it the Impresario. Gilbert and Sullivan's Trial by Jury. Mozart's The Magic Flute, which we are reprising this year. And Naughty Marietta by Victor Herbert. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many opera companies were born and died during that 30 years. I don't know how many were born, but all of them died. Mm -hmm. It was a very difficult time to found a company, and there really hasn't been any repertory company as we are since that time. There aren't enough crazy people like me. Mm -hmm. I guess it takes, uh, you know, it it takes a... well, like, you know, you you got to have the, the, the company runner, the company uh, head, uh, be very tenacious. What what else do you, do you think is Well, you need somebody to uh, tilt the windmills, somebody with a, with a lance to go after the ogres and giants, but then you need friends who catch the vision, both in the artistic realm and in the financial realm. Mm-hmm. And my friends, the Eccles... 
many different Eccles have helped us immensely. Uh, Larry H. Miller was a tremendous philanthropist towards the opera company, was always listed as anonymous, but he is the largest single single donor. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been very generous. Uh, Hiram Smith, who started Franklin Quest, uh, was very, very generous to us. Many multi-million dollar givers, and it requires that because our budget is $5 million a year, mm-hmm. and we have to start from scratch every year. It's an act of faith mm. to move forward. And uh, 30 years, 30 years. That's wonderful. Uh, let's bring in Herb Newsom, uh, who's uh, performing with Lyric Repertory Company in Logan this year. Herb Newsom, uh, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Uh, I wonder, Michael Bowen, can you hear Mr. Newsom? Uh, mm. we're, we're having some headphone problems. I can hear you, but, uh, but our other guests uh, perhaps can't. So I'll just relay uh, the information around. Um, so, uh, where do you, where do you usually perform? I guess just all over? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm originally from New York City, but I'm located in Los Angeles right now. So I live in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, working in theater takes you across the region. So you work, uh, where the work is. So this summer I'm in Utah. Um, I'll be in Pittsburgh in January and, uh, it's kind of like bounce around at uh, various theaters, regional theaters across the country. Now imagine uh, what did you do during the pandemic? Or I maybe weren't performing. Uh, no, um, well, surprisingly, uh, during the pandemic, theaters had to get really crafty and figure out what to do. So uh, Zoom became the thing everybody was doing with businesses and companies and actually theater companies. And so you did a lot of like Zoom plays, Zoom play readings, where uh, theaters would produce these play readings of um, you know and performances of these plays on Zoom with squares and invite people to come see them. Um, they were like Zoom concerts. I even directed a play on Zoom. I directed uh, George Wolf's The Colored Museum uh, for a school on Zoom. And uh, interestingly enough, being in, in Los Angeles, uh, being at the school had a really insane budget for this. We were able to implement a lot of technology that allowed uh, for the actors to be at home with green screens and camera and uh, audio-visual setups. Um, and I was able to put all the actors on the same exact screen with background and costumes. So you didn't really know they were in um, their own living room <laughs> performing. Um, so you had to get really interesting, uh, get really crafty and creative during that time. Um, but everything I did was from my living room um, during that time. And I probably worked on about five different projects. Well, that's, um, a, that's amazing. Weren't open. Yeah. <laughs> you had to get really creative. Is, is any of that continuing? I imagine there might be some things that uh, were workarounds, but uh, that maybe companies are, are maybe will use routinely from now on. Uh, yeah, I think Zoom sometimes have been used for like rehearsals and some things, more meetings and things like that. Um, I know that um, you know usually during a, when you're doing a play, you do a first read through, right? And a lot of times when you're casting shows and you have people from all different cities, you have to wait till everybody gets to the to the theater city to have your first read through. Well, sometimes now you can just go on Zoom and uh, you can have a reading with all the cast all across the country even before the first day of rehearsal. So there are a few things that we've been able to pick up and kind of like utilize that are going to be to our advantage. So, Michael Ballum, uh, you know, speaking of creativity, not necessarily things that you had to do during the pandemic, but, you know, you have a lot of experience um, 
anything come to mind where you, you had just to, had to do workarounds, get creative? Yes. Well, the pandemic taught us a great deal. And one of those things was, as we just talked about, uh, rehearsals. We are going to do for the first time in our 30 years a high school musical version of Les Miserables. Every year we hold the Utah High School Musical Theater Awards where... This year, I believe 27 high schools competed. We send two professional judges to each of the high school productions, and then we choose 10 to compete, like a Tony Award situation. And then the two winners go to New York to participate in the Jimmy Awards, the National High School Musical Theater Awards. This year, we have determined to cast Les Miserables with students from all over the state, from St. George to Smithfield. And we have been rehearsing uh, digitally, uh, which has been very successful. We did get them all to come for two days to Logan early on in the process. But since then, we have been doing it virtually. And the last week of our season, they will come to Logan and rehearse for two weeks. And then the shows will play a a week after we close. That would not have been possible had we not understood that technology, which really came to fore with the pandemic. For our season, uh, it was a roller coaster because one minute we could play and the next minute we could not, and it became rather challenging. Even in 2021, when we were given the right to go ahead and uh, do Carmen in the Eccles Theater, which is essentially a 1,500-seat space, it doesn't seat that many because we've made very large uh, rows between, but um, the, the state and the, uh, the county health systems came into the theater and told me with distancing, we could probably get 69 people into mm. that 1,500 wow. seat space. And of course, Carmen takes 300 plus mm. uh, to put on, so that <laughs> uh, didn't seem very cost efficient or possible at all. Therefore, we did a a complete about-face and determined to use the Utah Theater, which is more intimate and chose four works that were intended to be performed in an intimate space, Mm -hmm. rather than Puccini, Verdi, Mozart, Grand Opera. Yeah, Uh, adaptation. Yeah, Adaptation. Adaptation. Uh, So, Herb, I don't want to ask both of you, uh, Herb Newsom, uh, what attracted you to the the theater? What was it? Or were you always destined for the stage? Um, well, I, 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 my very first thing I ever did in life, I was six years old and I was in an off-Broadway show called Black Girl in New York City, where I grew up. Um, and so I was, I was, you know, your parents say, hey, go do this, and you just go do it. And so I was in this play, and it was fun. Um, and then I didn't really take it, you know, acting seriously. I did that, and then the following year I did a, an independent sci-fi film, uh, The Brother from Another Planet, and that was cool. Um, but, you know, as you get older as a kid, you're into kid things, and then, you know, get to be a teenager and you're into other things. I got to high school. It was all about high school sports and football. But I was always, theater always came in and out of my life. I was in a little theater group when I was 10, but then by the time I got to high school, it was sports. And then senior year, they needed somebody to play Leroy in fame. They're like, Herb, you're an actor. And so I was like, okay. So I played Leroy in fame. And, and I went to undergrad at the University of Albany, and I was a business major. And I was sitting in my economics class, and I had got great, I got great grades. I understood this, and I'm like, I understand this. I could be successful at this, but is this really going to make me happy? And at the time, I was taking an acting class as an elective, and I was like, well, what do I want to do in life? What's fun? And I was like, oh, acting's fun. Um, and then literally that next morning, I went to my advisor's office, changed my major to theater, 
um, went to graduate school directly after undergrad at Penn State and then haven't stopped since. So I started at six, in and out of my life, randomly kind of poking at me until that you know, faithful day in economics class where I was like, I think this is what I want to do. Uh, and then I just went off and changed it. And so ever since then, it's been, it's been great. Do you, uh, I don't know, friends and family, do you get any pushback? We moved from economics to, to, to the arts. <laughs> no, my parents were my parents were super supportive of anything you wanted to do. And they were just like, as long as you do it, be the best at it. Be the best at it, uh, you know, in, in every which way. Work hard, be the best, and then we'll, we'll support you. Um, and, you know, my parents were the ones that put me in it early on. I was a little child model, and I did this play, and I did this movie, and they were very proud of me doing that. And they were like, oh, he's, he's such a talent, you know. So they, they recognized that early on. Um, and so you know, I think that's part of the encouragement um, to do it. I'm, I'm the only one in my family that has done it. My niece now uh, is actually really getting into it. She's about to go to Howard University um, in their theater department for the first year. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, but, yeah, my, my, my family's been always very open um, to, to whatever we wanted to do. And, you know, I chose to do uh, theater and acting, and they were just like, go for it. Michael Ballum, uh, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. We, no, we, we always we always talk about you know current whatever. Yes. So what were you always destined for? My mother said that on the delivery table, I asked two questions: When do we eat, and when do we start rehearsing? <laughs> I was actually on the stage at the age of two for the first time, mm-hmm. and I was very moved by it. I could see people weeping in the audience. I was singing a song called The Poor Babes in the Wood, Mm. the story of the essentially murder of the two princes in the Tower of London. And I could see that I was touching people. And I determined at that moment I was never going to do anything else and haven't. I have no aptitude or any talent to do anything else. Plus, the theater has always been safe for me. Mm. I was a victim of tremendous bullying as a child, and the theater was a place where I was safe. Mm. And that bullying hasn't stopped. It's just gotten more political. (laughs) (laughs) But I am safe on the stage. When Mm -hmm. I hear that overture, nobody can get at me. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you, you're still looking for that thrill, I guess, to move people. Is that what you want to yes. do? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a thrill. Mm-hmm. It's that it gives me meaning for my life. Mm-hmm. If I feel that we have altered the course of a person's life in an ennobling way, our mission statement was elevating people through ennobling artistic expression. I don't want to entertain people. I want to make them more noble for having spent some time with us, cause them to think thoughts they might not otherwise pursue, make them a, a little bit uncomfortable so that they will want to be better when they leave. Mm. You're performing one of your, I think, one of your signature roles, Matter of La Mancha, right? Yes. So one of your favorite roles, I think. Yeah, right? it, it is uh, indeed. Um, uh, wh- what is it about Matter of La Mancha? Well, when he says, I hope to add some measure of grace to the world. That is my life goal, and that's why I came back from New York City and began to save some old theaters because I feel I don't mind battling giants and ogres and windmills. I've done it. I played Quixote for the first time when I was 15 years of age, which was 55 years ago. Mm -hmm. What did I know about battling windmills? I thought I did, Mm -hmm. but that idea of pursuing something that is impossible 
And I was told all my life from River Heights, Utah, when I said, I want to be an opera singer when I was in junior high school. Uh, everyone said, that's not possible. You just can't. Statistically, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And statistically, it is impossible. But since I didn't know that, I just went ahead and did it anyway. So that song, The Impossible Dream, means a great deal to me. Hmm. Um, I want to ask a similar question to you, Herb Newsom. Uh, what do you... What is it about being on stage that, I guess, you know, fills you up, that uh, satisfies you, that, that, that you want, that you need? Yeah, I think it's a similar, similar, similar experience, similar answer, uh, in the fact that art has the power to change the world, right? Um, and although there's, uh, you know, there's art, there's visual art, there's music, there's entertainment, there's movies, uh, the great actor Charles Dutton told us once in this workshop I attended, he goes, you go to the movies to be entertained, you go to the theater to have your life changed. And that's the goal of a theater artist, is to come in and have your life changed, to make the audience change their life in some little way. Um, and so for me, the goal is that, um, to be able to go on stage and effectively uh, give forth a performance um, that is going to make people in the, in the audience be moved. Uh, artists have the power to move people. Uh, writers, storytellers have the power to move people, to move the needle. Uh, throughout our history, this country, uh, the artists are the ones that have really been able to kind of like force political change, force the change, force movement, force progression. Um, and so that's part of the artistic um, responsibility uh, that I feel when I go on stage, whether it be a comedy, whether it be a, a serious drama, uh, whatever it was, the musical, whatever it is, uh, people should enter that theater, get something from that stage, from that performance, and leave change in some sort of way. Um, and that's really the, the motivating drive. That, that's what drive, drove me to begin to write plays as well. Um, thankfully, you know, this, this summer I'm in A Fox on the Fairway, which is a farce comedy. I'm in August Wilson's Fences, which is a drop Pulitzer Prize winning drama. I'm also doing uh, The Interact Project, which is my one-man show, Three Men in Paris. And part of doing Freeman in Paris, I wrote because I wanted to tell the stories of bebop era jazz musicians from the 1950s and the struggles they, they were going through. Whereas I don't think there's many plays about that or stories about that. I read Miles Davis's autobiography, and it was amazing to me, just hearing the stories of these jazz musicians, and I just soaked it all up. Um, but telling that story in, you know, in the 1950s um, really was very empowering because a lot of those issues still exist today, and they relate, relate to people today. And so uh, in performing that show, it's so great. And with Interact, every single show has a talkback. And so the audience is invited to interact with the artist. And so I'm there. As soon as the show is over, two minutes later, I'm on stage, I'm on stage and we're just chatting. And people are having, we're having a conversation, we're having a dialogue, we're talking about issues. Um, and that's important because then you can open that dialogue and you can change people. And people have expressed how the play has moved and how they were changed. And some people have challenged some of the things in the play. And that's great because then the conversations can happen because one of the things in this country is we need to have conversations, you know, and really have discussions. And that's how we can move forward as a people and correct some of these ills that are going on in our country right now is by having a conversation and sitting down with someone you might not agree with, but you're able to kind of, like, talk about it. And uh, a play and, and an artistic endeavor can be the thing and the catalyst for that conversation. Um, and so that's sort of, uh, in a nutshell, why uh, I kind of love to do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. That, and I love that idea of that interactivity with the with the interact. Um, so, Michael Baum, you were nodding. Uh, I noticed <laughs> when when uh, Herb Newsom was quoting that line about theater is yes, change. Yes. Right. I, I agree. I would modify one of the words 
that was said, the word force. I don't think you can force change. I think you can invite people to change. You can create what I try to do, create a nurturing environment where people can be invited in to consider something and determined to change. I'm not sure you can force anyone to change. That's got to come from within. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, you can't force anybody, but what you can do is you can introduce them to an idea. You can, and you can touch their heart. And if you're able to touch their heart and dig deep behind the barrier, then, then there's a possibility for them to change. And that's all we can do as artists. We can, we can try to help push the needle, right? We can't really force anything, but we can help to push it. Um, and, and effectively, um, theater and other forms of art can really be effective in doing that. You know what I mean? We put up a mirror to somebody's life. They see something that happens on stage. They can then relate that to their family, to their experience, and then it may, may make them rethink how they think about life. Um, so we really try to do, I really try to do that. Um, is really to try to show the mirror, mirror to their lives and try to have them look within to say, okay, is, is, is my thinking correct? Is this thing, or does this make me want to change and be a better person? And then that thing changes, so. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. We're, uh, we're talking about the arts and uh, highlighting a couple of uh, our wonderful arts organizations in northern Utah. Uh, we have with us Herb Newsom on the phone. He is uh, performing with the Lyric Repertory Company. Uh, this season, they're celebrating 56 years, and Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, which is celebrating 30 years, uh, is represented here on the program by their founding director, Michael Ballum. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're uh, highlighting the arts, uh, doing a summer check-in, highlighting a couple of uh, great arts organizations in northern Utah the Lyric Repertory Company and Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Uh, Herb Newsom is performing with Lyric Repertory Company this year, and uh, we have with us in studio uh, Michael Ballum, founding director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. So, Michael Ballum, uh, before we went on the air, uh, you, you, I was going to ask you about this, which I'll now do. Um, you, you came home uh, to, to Cache Valley because of health problems, Yes, I was but, but told you, I would die with within a fairly short period of time. That's the part I didn't know. I didn't know it was that stark. It, it was uh, was a very challenging part of my life. We were living in New York, and New York's a lovely place. When you're young, wealthy, healthy, <laughs> but it's not a good place to die. And I thought I would come home because my father was in the medical industry, and perhaps they may be able to find what was wrong with me. And uh, it was immediately that I discovered that the Eccles Theater was, had changed hands for the first time since 1923 and was determined to go in a different direction than being a theater, and that didn't feel right to me. And I convinced one of the most extraordinary men I've ever known, Eugene Needham, to essentially give the theater away to the city. And then with the help of friends and government, we were able to restore what is now a $90 million opera house. And then it seemed when that happened, we'd better have an opera company in there. And uh, so you founded the, the, the company. Yes. Uh, did you think, uh, you were, were you looking to, for, for 30 years? Or you're just looking for next year, probably? I think we always have to proceed by faith in the arts world, the not-for-profit art 
world, and opera, ballet, symphony, will always be not-for-profit. There is no way we can charge enough if there's 300 people to put on, well, actually more like 400 people to put on Carmen. You can't pass that expense on to a ticket buyer. So we, we charge as much as we think we can and still make it affordable. And in the case of the Eccles, our, our tickets go all the way down to $5. But in order to do that, someone has to come forward and make up the difference. And we've been fortunate. Uh, Utah is a very philanthropic state, and we've had luck in doing that. Did I think it was going to last for 30 years? I thought it was going to last for an eternity, but mm -hmm. that's the way I think about everything. Mm -hmm. I think that if the idea is a noble one, it will have a life of its own. And... Uh, What's shocking is that it has been 30 years when it feels like it's been three. It has gone by fast, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's certainly true. We'll get into some of the productions here uh, in a moment. Uh, Herb Newsom, I wondered, uh, uh, do you have favorite productions you've been in? Um, well, yeah, well, one, one of my favorite uh, things so far is I've been in uh, five of the ten um, plays of August Wilson's uh, Century Cycle. Um, and currently I'm in Fences uh, at, at the Lyric Rep. Um, I did Fences once before at Pennsylvania Center Stage where I played uh, Lions, the, the young son, and now I'm playing Troy Maskin, the father. So full, full circle moment. Um, but yeah, doing, doing August Wilson's work um, has been very powerful for me, and I've done some specifically, or I did Myrony's Black uh, Bottom in Pittsburgh. Um, and it was directed by Dr. Vernell Lilly, who directed August Wilson's very first play ever. Um, she's a wonderful um, woman um, who had um, founded Country Repertory Theater, and she worked with August early on in his career, way before um, he became August Wilson, the August Wilson that we know. Um, but yeah, but in doing those those, those five plays, I'm, I'm I'm halfway through the cycle, uh, and I look forward to actually completing the entire cycle and being in every single show because these, these plays are just really amazing stories. What does August Wilson mean? He's you know he's, we recognize him, big name. What? Uh, how do you situate August Wilson? Um, I think August Wilson is like our, our modern-day Shakespeare. I mean, the, 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 the template cycle is, is just vast. It's just, it's just, and it covers, you know, one play uh, in each uh, decade of the 20th century dealing with black life. Um, and what's amazing about August Wilson, he's very, you can go and you can be of any faith, any religion, any ethnic background, and you will get something from August. You will have your life changed when you go see an August Wilson play. Um, it's about the black experience, but the plays are very universal. They're about love, loss, family, and things of that nature. And so everybody can relate to them. Um, so no matter if it's, you know, Fences, which is a family drama, um, Piano Lesson, which is another family drama. Um, all, the, all, the, all these plays really um, have, have, have the, the idea that, that what people are striving for to be better, the struggles that they go through and how they overcome. Um, and those, those are things we can all relate to. Um, and so, so the universality of August Wilson's um, uh, work, the depth of his, the depth of his character, um, it really just really for, for, for really amazing theater. Um, and so... That, that's one of the things that just really attracts me to his work and why I'm so psyched to do all these 10 plays and continue to work on his work any time I can. Uh, it struck me, I went to your website, um, HerbNewsom.com, by the way. You have a quote from August Wilson on, uh, you know, mm -hmm. on the front page, the simpler you say it, the more elegant it is. Why did you put that mm -hmm. on there? Yeah, because... A lot of times I think we can get clouded in the complexity of, of life and the complexity of things. I think life is simple. 
Life is really simple. Um, we love, we, we want these simple things in life, but I think uh, the complications that human beings make in the world is we just make things so complicated. We, 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 in our relationships, in our business relationships, and everything, we just complicate things. But when we really just simplify it to the basics, then you, re- then you really can have sort of a clarity about life. So the simpler you say it, the more elegant it is. It's simple. It's really about love. It's about life. It's about giving. It's about want. It's about desire. It's about family. You know what I mean? Let's not complicate the world because it's really simple. And then when you can simplify life and simplify the things, then, then, then life becomes beautiful. It becomes elegant. It becomes this wonderful thing that you can do. Um, and then really within, within, within the arts and within specifically acting and within plays, right? You know, a lot of times actors want to come. You've got to come and you've got to make big choices. You've got to do these things. But most, mostly it's really simple. Listen to the other person that's talking to you on stage. Really take in what they're saying. Keep it simple, and then naturally everything is going to be able to come out of you. And you're going to be able to give forth a performance and give back to that, your scene partner, really what that elegance, the beauty, what, what that character really wants. Um, if we try to overcomplicate it, then, then we get acting. Right? Acting it doesn't seem really truthful. because you know, For me, theater is about the truth. It's about showing the truth on the stage. And the simpler you can make it, be real specific and be simple, the more beauty can come out of it. And so um, when, I, when, I, when I read that quote, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I try to you know, infuse that into my work. Mm-hmm. Mark Bellum, I want to have you follow up with that, uh, you know, to, um, sharing the stage. And you've shared the stage with... Uh, you know, Kurt Kanawa, Birgit Nielsen, you know. And Ethel Merman. (laughs) (laughs) I sang with them all. Uh, I agree. It it is about simplicity in terms of intent. Um, Opera is the most complex of all the art forms. It it has all of the art forms, from architecture to dance to painting. The word opera means big work, and it certainly is. And keeping it, keeping the message simple is, is very important. We're unusual with this company in that we value American musical theater at the same level as we do grand opera. We tend to do works from the, the golden era, which you talked about with Bosco's concert, principally because we have 80 instrumentalists on the payroll and uh, it would make more sense to use the orchestra in a way as it was intended decades ago as a as a major part rather than traditionally now in new york it is it is mandated 13 instruments and so that seems not to use our resources to the fullest. So we are an unusual. I don't really fit in Opera America, who sometimes tend to look at musical theater as somewhat of a lesser art. And in uh, the National Association of Musical Theater, I'm just considered weird, which mm-hmm. I am. But the fact they don't understand, uh, you, know, you know, a chorus of 120 and an orchestra of 100. Mm. So we straddle a very unusual line. But seems to work because this week alone we will have people from 28 different states they come because it is an unusual experience uh so t- tell us about some of these uh, productions you're doing magic flute which was, was in the inaugural season right? indeed indeed um you know magic flute can't uh, go wrong with mozart shouldn't yeah sh- shouldn't go wrong with mozart uh carmen which of course is one of the three most popular of all musicals, Aida, Bohem, Carmen, 
Speaking of Aida, we're doing it next year. Oh, wonderful. Both Verdi's version and Elton John's yeah. version. Oh, which, you are? Yes, which Both should be an interesting juxtaposition. We are doing a, a very interesting work, The Tenderland by Aaron Copeland. And since the set is a farm and a farmhouse and a field of corn, uh, we're not putting it on a stage. We're putting it on a farm with a farmhouse and a barn and a field of corn. And uh, I think that will make it very special. She Loves Me, one of Bakken Harnick's works they wrote in 1963, the year before Fiddler on the Roof. Sheldon is going to come out this season, oh, Sheldon Harnick. Mm -hmm. He is 97 and going strong and wants to come out. He has come here many times when we've done his works. And Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is very beloved. Yes. Together with a, a, a tribute to Frank Sinatra with our orchestra and ensemble of wonderful artists. And we mentioned Man of La Mancha, of course. And yeah, yeah. Man of La Mancha. Yeah. And uh, uh, much of other stuff. Uh, doing a tribute to Frank Sinatra, as you mentioned, uh, Beyond Carmen. Yes. Audrey, who plays Carmen, and Aldonza, Dulcinea, is an amazing artist, and we want to feature her. Our first year in 1993, we had 16 events. Mm. This year we will have 549 events within a six-week time. So we have been very busy. And we have Uncle Sam to thank. Uh, we are able to celebrate to this magnitude our anniversary because COVID relief money came forward. And as you probably know, Uncle Sam's money usually has a string or two or 50 mm. attached. And the one is, you must spend it all by July 31st, or you give it back. Uh -huh. And we don't want to give it back. Right. So we're able to celebrate to a large extent thanks to the COVID relief funding, which probably will end and we'll get back to business as usual. Right. Um, Utahfestival.org, right, is the, the, That's the, correct. the website to, to, to go to. Um, and uh, usu.edu slash lyric rep is where to go for lyric repertory. So, uh, Herb Newsom, tell us about uh, some of the productions, uh, the, especially the productions you're in with, uh, with lyric rep. Yeah, so um, currently I'm in A Fox on a Fairway, which is a, a farce comedy uh, by Ken Ludwig. Uh, it's about two rival golf teams. Um, it's a very funny, funny show that's been run. It's been running one of the first shows we opened. Um, second show is Fences by August Wilson, which we've mentioned, um, where I play Troy Maxson, and that's that's also running concurrently. We run these shows in reps, so every other day there's different shows throughout the week, so you can see a variety of shows in a very short period of time. Um, we're doing Disney's Freaky Friday. Um, it's based on the Disney musical, and then which is also based on the novel by Mary Rogers. Um, and we just opened this past weekend uh, Into the Breaches. Um, by George Brandt, which is a comedy. Um, and in, in Into the Breaches, it's set in World War II uh, at a theater uh, where the theater director and all the leading men have gone off to war and determined to press on. The, uh, the wife of the, of the artistic director decides to put on Henry V with an ensemble of women. Um, and you know, the, the struggles of saying, no, women can't do that in, in this society. And they're like, no, we're going to prove you wrong. So there's a comedy, uh, it's a very comedy, it's a great comedy, uh, Into the Breaches. Um, there's a Vasco called Spotlight Concert that we already spoke about. Um, and then finally there's Interact, Free Men in Paris, which is my one-man show that I've written, which is about the about better jazz musicians, um, where, like I said, you can interact with me after the show to uh, you know, get some insight about what it takes to 
be a writer, an actor, performer, and uh, just generally what it takes to put on a theatrical production. Um, and those are the shows that we're, uh, we're, we're doing this summer. Wonderful. Uh, do, you, do you like acting in repertory? It seems like uh, many more lines to keep in your head <laughs> at one time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I've done it a few times. Um, usually you're focused on one show. you got one character, and you're on your way, and you're good to go. Uh, this summer, especially playing in, in Fences, Troy Maxson probably has about 80% of the lines in that show, in that two-and-a-half-hour show. Obviously, in Freeman in Paris, it's a runtime of 117 minutes, um, and I, I play every character in that show. I play 10 different characters, so that show is lots of lines, and uh, Fox gives me a little reprieve because I, I play, I kind of, I'm in and out. Dicky Bell is in and out of that, that show and just doing these funny things and then leaving. Um, but yeah, you have to have a lot, and you know, there's, there's going to be a sequence. Actually, it's one of those sequences starts this week where I do all three shows in two days. Um, within a short period of time, probably within 30 hours, I'll be performing each of those shows. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of memorization and just really a lot of, a lot of work to kind of keep that in your brain uh, and really make them separate. And they're three very different shows. You go see Fox, totally different from Fences, which is going to be totally different from Freeman and Paris. So it's great as an actor to have that challenge, to be able to stretch yourself, uh, to really show you know, what you can do, and just to have fun, you know, just have fun playing. Uh, in sort of this repertory sort of uh, situation. Mike Baum, just before we go to break, um, you know, repertory you do repertories, right? It's essential for us mm-hmm. because 30,000 people will come from over 100 miles away. They will not come to see one show, not from Pittsburgh, not from Paris, France. They will come if they can see six shows in three days. So for us, it is life or death. I knew uh, an international opera festival could not survive with the population of Cache County. Mm. So it was envisioned from the beginning. It had to be a repertory situation where many offerings were happening in a short period of time. Uh, well, let's, uh, before we go to break, let me uh, mention the websites again. Uh, so usu.edu slash lyric rep, and there's a buy tickets button there. And then for Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, it's utahfestival.org. And you can uh, click on the buy tickets. There, I assume, tickets still available for productions? Um, Some productions. Try. (laughs) She Loves Me has been an overwhelming success. I know She Loves Me is is sold out. Yes, but we are contemplating... Uh, adding some more performances because there are many sold-out performances. Don't let that discourage you. There yeah. are a lot that are not yeah. sold out. But don't wait because they are filling. Um, that's very good news. So another, per- I don't know if you be able to reveal this, another performance of She Loves Me? That's- I certainly hope so. Yeah, I well, hope so too because I... I was one of those. I'm on the outside knocking yeah. on the door. So, okay. Well, well, I'll I'll keep my eyes on on that. But anyway, uh, utahfestival.org is where to go. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have about ten minutes left with Herb Newsom, who is performing with Lyric Repertory Company this summer. And with uh, Michael Ballum, founding director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. We're checking in with the arts uh, during the summertime here. You're welcome to uh, to uh, let us know about your favorite uh, arts uh, company. Uh, you can call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Um, so let me start uh, this section with uh, Herb Newsom. You, uh, you're an actor, obviously. 
you've you've now gotten into writing. What's uh, what's that like? Um, it's it's pretty great. I mean, I, I, I believe as actors, um, we do so much script analysis and we study so many plays that naturally we know uh, we can really tell good plays from bad plays. We can tell you know play structure. Um, and then early on in my career, when I was uh, back in New York and I wasn't really getting any work, I wasn't doing anything. I decided a friend of mine collaborated on this show called Revenge of the King, um, which is a hip-hop musical based on the story of Hamlet um, that we created. And then um, I produced it with my little waiter salary, you know, and at a small producer club in New York on 44th Street. And, uh, you know, ever since that, ever since then, that, that single production um, actually started getting me work as an actor and a director, surprisingly, um, just by putting my money where my mouth is and just for the love of, of the art and saying, I have stories to tell, too. Um, and so it really I start, it started there. And then as, as I progressed in my career, it's just all the things that I just had to read books, I'd be inspired by, by, by time periods, by subject matter. I just started to write and, you know, realizing that, you know, I was able to write this sort of musical um, and it'd be successful. The, the play's been done in seven cities across the country, including um, at the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown, South Africa. Um, so I, I can really see how uh, the work um, really spoke to people and people saw the work. Artistic directors like, I want to do your show. Um, so it really inspired me to start writing. Um, and I got into doing one-man shows by, inspired by my, my best friend, Michael Rosenthal, who's a playwright. Um, and he was interested in, you know, he's from upstate New York, and I'm from New York City. I grew up in the projects and uh, the hood in New York City. And he just kept asking me stories about my life. And he's like, you should tell that story. It's so amazing. And so we wrote a one-man show together. And that, that just sparked my interest in one-man shows, and I have a, a few of those, and I just started doing those kind of things. And Three Man in Paris came out in a similar way, where I was just inspired by the bebop era jazz musicians. I love jazz music. Um, and I just, once I read Miles Davis's autobiography, I just started to soak up documentaries and books all about this time period. And I was like, man, I wish I could have been back on 40, 52nd Street during that time to go to these clubs. And I was like, well, you know what? I can write about it, and then I could go to these clubs in my play. Um, and try to relive that and try to give, give that, you know, find that experience. Um, so, yeah, so writing just sort of kind of came naturally uh, out of just being, you know, being, being, being so in, in enthralled in reading plays and just engulfing myself in, in plays and literature and story and the idea of storytelling. Um, so then naturally I just started to kind of progress in that. Mike Bellum, I want to ask you about, um, I don't know if I've often asked you about this, about your career as a tenor, operatic t- uh, tenor. You said, uh, you know, the odds were impossible. They still are impossible. You made it. <laughs> um, it was impossible, but somehow I didn't know that. Um, I began performing professionally at the age of 15, and I'm still doing it. So that's a f- 55-year Career. In fact, I have essentially made my life exclusively from performing. Uh, I am associated with Utah State University, and that certainly helps me keep some of my favorite charitable organizations <laughs> going. I determined I would never teach, and I certainly would never be a producer. Uh, but things change, mm-hmm. and when the Grim Reaper comes to call, it sometimes causes one to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. I have not ever stopped performing. I, once I was hired at Utah State University, the deal was from the president then, you keep going out and performing in New York and Carnegie Hall and around the world because it will help Utah State's visibility. And they were very gracious to allow me to continue to do that. 
which I'm still doing today, but as for being a producer, couldn't think of anything worse. I was a producer when I was about five or six. If I could have a, a clothesline and a sheet, <laughs> I, I would put on a show. <laughs> uh, but as for the real world, I haven't the slightest idea about it. However, having sung with 29 opera companies, I certainly knew how not to do it. Mm -hmm. I had seen some miserable <laughs> producers, and I thought if I just don't do that, maybe it will work. And I was, I had sung with every major opera company in America and knew people from there who, bought, who understood my dream to create something in a little town of international scope and many of them volunteered for many seasons to help me learn how to be a producer on the fly uh, and now you've done it for 30 years yeah. 30 years yeah uh, herb newsom uh, i always asked to uh, always like to ask uh, performers about uh, unusual venues you've performed in is there anything that come to come to mind uh, unusual venues that i performed in um not, nothing too crazy um, out there. I mean, there's always outdoor venues. I performed in a in a park in um, in Connecticut, in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, with the um, with the Heartbeat Ensemble. We did like a summer season in the park. Um, what a, a really interesting outdoor venue. I haven't performed that, but but I kind of work closely with that theater at times. Is the Pittsburgh um, Playwrights Theater? Um, they actually do. They've actually done some work in August Wilson, the home August Wilson's childhood home. Um, which is now, you know, it's historical, um, that has this historical designation. They've done productions in the backyard of his house. So a lot of, um, some of, some of those Wilson plays are like, we call the backyard plays, seven guitars and King heavy and second are set in the backyard. And to be able to do that show in the backyard of the home that August Wilson grew up in was sort of amazing. Um, and they did this one show, which I had to fly to Pittsburgh to see, um, uh, Gem of the Ocean, which is, you know, the address of, on Esther's house is 1839 Wiley, and I've been working in Pittsburgh since 2007 multiple times, going back and forth a couple times a year to work there as an artist. And if you go by 1839 Wiley, there isn't anything. It's just this empty lot. There's a set of stairs that leads to nothing, where the house used to be. Um, and a couple of years ago, they produced, they built a set, and they were able to perform Gem of the Ocean on, um, at the address 1839 Wiley, and that's such a spiritual um, show. And has to, has, has to deal with so much history and the, and the middle passage and stuff. So it's such a spiritual thing to kind of be involved in sort of that, that sort of thing. Um, but mostly theaters and probably the weirdest thing is probably an, an outdoor, like any outdoors in a park. Um, but yeah, pretty much theaters, I would say. Mm -hmm. So Michael Ballum, of course, you're doing Tenderland on a farm. Mm -hmm. uh, that's unusual this year. Yes. Hope it doesn't rain, I guess. Uh, um, it just can't possibly yeah. rain. We need everybody praying uh, for this week. No rain. The following week, it can be a deluge. Opera does not does not often serve well in some place uh, out of doors because, uh, well, all of our orchestra's instruments are insured here when they come. I believe we're the only opera company that does that. We will insure their instruments while they're here, and we're talking about multi-millions of dollars. Uh, some of our Stradivari cello and violins are priceless, and the idea of having Mother Nature impact that is, is frightening. However, I have done some operas out of doors, mm -hmm. uh, one that was 
cancelled in the middle of Verdi's Un Ballo in Mascara. Uh, the weatherman was saying there's, and the instrumentalists were not going to play, so we moved into a uh, Masonic temple. I have performed on the Miller Theater stage in Houston at 110 degrees and 100% humidity. <laughs> And uh, which act one was terrible, act two, I thought, I can't do this, act three, I thought, I'm going to die, act four, I thought, please let me die. <laughs> Opera doesn't lend itself to unusual venues. Mm. However, we're doing Aaron Copeland out of doors, and it will be a marvelous experience, because the action actually takes place among the members of the audience. Mm. Oh, that'll, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'll be wonderful. Um, so we just have about two minutes left. Um, a minute to Herb Newsom. What uh, would you, uh, I guess, encourage people to come down to Lyric Rep and especially come and see your play? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we have, I mean, we have a whole host of things from comedies uh, to, you know, musical theater to deep dramas. Um, to uh, If you have never seen a one-man show, Free Man in Paris is the one-man show to see. Um, it's very different from others. I play some live jazz music in the show, so if you love, if you're a jazz lover, come down and check that out. Um, and I play multiple characters, uh, and it's just a really fun, a fun thing to do. Um, and then you know, the, those lovers of music, we have beautiful vocalists who are going to be performing in the uh, Bosco Cole Spotlight um, concert, which I think the first one is this Tuesday, and then it's the following Tuesday as well. Um, yeah, so just come on down, and we have a variety of uh, things to offer this summer, uh, and have some fun. Herb Newsom is uh, performing with Lyric Repertory Company. USU.edu slash Lyric Rep is where to go. So, Michael Ballum, a lot of productions still to come. Uh, come on down, I guess, right? Of those 549, I'm not sure how many are left. Mm-hmm. People in Cache County tend to wait until the moment. Ah, mm-hmm. You know, let's see what, the, what happens during the day, and then we'll go down and get tickets. Don't do that with us, because mm-hmm. many of the shows are selling out. Take a look at our website and see what you'd like to see and get the tickets as quickly as possible. Don't want you to be disappointed by coming down to the box office and seeing those two terrible, wonderful words <laughs> sold out. Yeah. Uh, so utahfestival.org, utahfestival.org. Uh, Michael Baum, thanks for coming in. Appreciate pleasure. It. Always a pleasure. Herb Newsom, uh, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Wonderful. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah Today.